Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Our guest today is Chris Johnson, who is the CEO of Landmark Health. Chris joined Landmark in 2017 as Vice President and General Manager, and he was responsible for launching the New England market. Now, most recently, Chris served as Landmark's Head of Corporate Development, responsible for the company's growth strategy, strategic partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, and public policy. In this position, Chris played a vital role in Landmark's merger with Optum and leading the company's integration into Optum's home and community platform. So prior to joining Landmark, Chris was principal at InnoSight, a healthcare-focused growth strategy consultancy, and he is a co-founder of Predilytics, a healthcare analytics business. Chris earned a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Harvard College and received his MBA from Harvard Business School. Chris, with that intro, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. All right. So today's topic, a huge one for the field. We're talking about healthcare for our aging population. And Landmark Health is a provider of at-home healthcare for senior patients, including those who have complex and chronic conditions. So we're excited to get your, your take on this. So first, we would love to hear more about your background, though. How did you get involved in healthcare? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, well, I'm, uh, uh, you know, live live in just outside of Boston. I'm a New Englander at heart, so obviously grew up in a grew up in a state that's known for its healthcare. Um, but I, I kind of ran into healthcare accidentally um, in my first job uh, out of school. I was doing strategy consulting and. Um, early clients were in the healthcare space. And I, I, I really kind of got intrigued by how healthcare worked. Um, it's a huge part of our economy. There are aspects of it that it turns out work incredibly well. You know, they're, they're part of the, I would say the most innovative parts of our economy, especially in the life science space, the medical device space, where we're doing amazing things in us healthcare. And we are the envy of the world when it comes to that, that innovation and, you know, not to look back too far, but I think if you look at the COVID pandemic, there were parts of that that we were not well known for being the best at, but but certainly some of the life science innovation that happened um, was really centered on great work that was done in the United States. I think I, through that, I saw though that the delivery of healthcare in the United States was something that was really complicated. And it felt like we weren't, if we didn't have a silver bullet solution in terms of a therapeutic or a, a device that could cure someone, we struggled with it. Um, you know, I, I even, as I was going through it, as my, my, my grandmother was getting older and trying to live at home, saw how challenging that was as she had more specialists, more appointments that she needed to, to go to um, as her own social network at home diminished as, you know, her, her peers started to pass away. And so kind of understanding how we can do better by our seniors and how we can do better in terms of actually having healthcare provide that proactive support we need, not just to manage our conditions, but actually to help people continue to live the lives they want has always been um, kind of a guiding North Star for me. Well, so let's talk about that, Chris. Let's talk about the overall patient experience for seniors. What are some of the trends you're seeing now in how seniors, let's say specifically, are accessing care? Yeah, you know, um, I think the interesting thing about the way that seniors are accessing care is um, 
it actually isn't that different than it's been for the last several decades. I think generally today, most seniors are still either themselves driving or being driven to a physician, hopefully, you know, by a family member, by a friend, sometimes, you know, increasingly maybe by an Uber or a Lyft, but I think still, still primarily by someone in their, their own, their own network. And that's, that office is increasingly part of like a really large medical center. Um, I know every time I go to the hospital, um, I get confused about where I parked. I usually can't find my way through the labyrinth of the medical office complex that kind of continues to sprawl out of these hospitals. But that's how that's how most seniors are accessing healthcare today, and they're doing it in a relatively fragmented way. Um, they have multiple specialists, and they're doing it in a fee for service system where the providers only have you know 15, 20, maybe in best case thirty minutes to be able to spend with them on uh, at, at, on any given appointment and you know, that, that, that's maybe I'm, I'm a relatively healthy, you know, uh, middle-aged, uh, person like 30 minutes maybe is like enough for me. Like I don't have that many things on my list when I bring them into my PCP, I'm lucky in that way. But as we get older in age, that list of things that you need to talk through and think through gets longer and longer. And they're, they're really all interdependent. Um, and that's, that's, I think really hard for, for seniors who are kind of being thrust into that system today. Um, it's, it's actually the opposite of like, I, I think what, what the rest of the world and the rest of the economy is moving to, which is like truly consumer centric care. Um, and that's, it's, it's really interesting. Like that hasn't evolved that much. I think even through the pandemic, we start to, we heard about the kind of like the momentary rise of virtual care. I, I think that's even come back, starting to come back down. And, and honestly, for seniors, it never really worked because I think what, what a lot of folks heard around virtual care was, oh, we did the di- di- differential, you actually need to go see the doctor now, right? Like, so it was almost like a, it was almost like an extra step in the process where like a senior, they, they already know that they need, they actually need true, true medical care. So I think that's some of the challenges that the system itself is not designed to allow, especially seniors to access care on terms that are good for them as individuals that help them stay in their community, that help them um, to really think holistically around what matters to them, which is, yes, it's managing their conditions, but I think really what why we have healthcare, especially as we get older, is so that we can continue to do the things that are meaningful to us. Can I go to see my granddaughter's dance recital? Can I you know, do a dance when a grandson or an, a favorite nephew is getting going to their wedding? Um, Can I walk to the mailbox and get my own mail and like kind of have that joy of being outside on my own for, you know, a few minutes during the day? Like those are the things that we need to help our, our, our seniors continue to do so that they they're finding meaning and joy in life. And I just worry that the way that traditional healthcare has evolved, we've kind of missed that. We're making it harder and harder for folks to access the care they need. So you just touched on, you know, accessing the care itself hasn't really changed or evolved over the years, but then you did touch on technology has, you know, you mentioned virtual appointments, um, some other things, online patient portals. So what are healthcare organizations doing to support seniors in this area? And again, you're alluding to the fact that, you know, some seniors may not be tech savvy for some of the things that are being put out there. So what are the organizations, healthcare organizations doing to help seniors who may not be technologically savvy? 
Yeah, I think um, technology is certainly coming, right? I think if you look at the amount of dollars that have been invested in venture capital and private equity to try and quote unquote digitize healthcare, there's been a lot. Um, and I think the good news is, you know, a decade ago, a lot of those investments were around optimizing revenue cycle um, for health systems. I think now we're starting to see a lot of it try and focus more on the consumer. Um, the I think the challenge is that I, I don't think that technology alone is a modality of care. And I think that's where there's a, a, a kind of a, the, the misconnect that happened during COVID, which was we are a virtual care company. I, I don't believe that you can be a truly virtual care organization today with the, the technology and capabilities we have. I think the way that I like to think about it is that technology is a capability that a provider group needs to embrace in order to provide the best care possible. Um, and that what that means, and, and I'll use Landmark as an example. Um, so just like 10 seconds on kind of how we operate is we're a mobile medical group. So we, we provide primary care services to patients in their home. So physicians, nurse practitioners, supported by an interdisciplinary care team that provide kind of, you know, ongoing primary care services in the home, urgent care 24 seven in the home, behavioral health, social determinant uh, support and social care around social workers. So we do all of that and we do it in the home. So we're kind of bringing that to, to the previous question, bring that access point actually to the, to the patient or to the consumer in their home. It's a really challenging logistical business because we, we have to go to the home every time we want to see them. There's no office where we ask patients to come into to make it kind of more convenient for us. What we've tried to do is figure out how do we feather in technology to make it more convenient for the consumer when they may want to just have like a five minute quick chat with one of our providers and they don't really need someone to come out and spend an hour with them in person. How do we how do we feather in that virtual care and have it be a seamless experience as they're accessing our uh, more comprehensive set of solutions? And I think that's really the way that we need to think about evolving technology and healthcare. Not saying, hey, we're we're a digital technology provider group, but rather we're a provider group, and that implies that we've figured out how to leverage technology to provide the best possible consumer experience. And that, that'll depend on, you know, it, at the senior level, it looks very different probably than it looks for someone who's, again, in their, you know, in their 30s or 40s and relatively healthy. The way you embrace technologies, it will look different than the way that my my grandmother um, was able to embrace technology. Um, and, and that's where the innovation, I think, will come. But it, it, I don't think it's an, like a technology cures all, all the issues we have. It needs to be really integrated and wrapped in with a service model. But it's coming. Sen and seniors embrace technology, right? I think that's the other thing is there, there are, there's a, a sh shrinking part of the United States population that is not attached to their smartphone on a day-to-day -day basis. Even among seniors, that's, you're, you're seeing smartphones connected, people on Facebook. So it, it's coming in the way that we evolve. That care model needs to keep up with the way that social trends are evolving. Well, Chris, let's put technology first aside just for a minute. And another thing you were touching on is some of the, the things that have happened since the pandemic. And the pandemic also intensified the loneliness and isolation that a lot of seniors go through. So how can healthcare systems improve this aspect of the patient experience? Yeah, you know, it's 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 
an interesting question because loneliness is is certainly a core if, if you're if you're struggling with loneliness it's going to impact all of these different kind of underlying healthcare conditions that you have right i, I i'm not myself a clinician but you know spending time and being able to work with our 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 clinical teams you you understand that that is that drives a lot of um has the ability to exacerbate underlying chronic conditions that you're trying trying to manage um and, and I think we're increasingly seeing that not only things like loneliness, but, you know, uh, food insecurity, transportation insecurity, the, these social um, challenges are directly tied to being able to be healthy and continue to live at home. Um, and I see the role, and I think the, an, an important role that the healthcare system needs to continue to play is to understand these challenges that each of their patients is experiencing and then figuring out how do we, you know, independently, I don't know that healthcare organizations can solve all of these things, right? Like, because it starts to become like, how far out does, is healthcare everything? Um, but I think that there's a lot of great organizations that we see in each of the communities that we operate that as like a healthcare provider, we have the ability to build strong relationships with and actually make sure that they know that someone's struggling with um, with loneliness or someone struggling with food insecurity, how do we make that connection to their local community? Cause that's, that's, that's really going to be a bond that can last. They're going to have a, there's a lot of support. I think that exists in communities across, across the country. And as healthcare providers, it's incumbent on us to make those, make those connections, uh, for our patients. Cause it's, it's going to drive the outcomes that we want to see and with our, with our patients. So let's talk more about outcomes for patients and providers. And, you know, we've been talking about it, but let's take a little deeper dive here on the at-home healthcare concept and how it can address, you know, health disparities in older adults. So what are some of the benefits for both there, you know, be, uh, patients and providers? Yeah, the, the you know, I think that it really starts to, I, I, I believe, democratize the delivery of healthcare. Um, and some of the reasons why I believe that are, are one, all of a sudden it doesn't matter that you don't live, you know, next to a really great healthcare facility because we're taking away that burden of access that we were just talking about. Um, the, the second is it, we're able to, and especially the way that Landmark has contracted on kind of a value-based perspective, we're able to actually provide the highest quality, kind of most comprehensive care to patients, especially seniors, at, at really no cost to them. And the reason why is because we know that by providing that care to folks in the home who really need it and have the clinical, require it clinically, it prevents downstream really expensive um, medical costs through things like hospitalizations or having to go to a skilled nursing facility, all for things that by getting in front of it and managing it in the home, we can actually, for a much better cost, be able to have a much, much better outcome. Um, and I, I, you know, like one thing that I, I, I'll often mention is like, I, I've never met someone leaving a hospital or seen someone leaving a hospital and, and saying like, and that you say, I'm really grateful that this hospital is here to help me, but you don't say, I can't wait to come back for the most part. Um, uh, and, and really that ability to bring the care into the home is allowing folks to avoid needing to go to the hospital when they don't for conditions or issues that they really shouldn't uh, escalate to that stage. Okay. You referenced cost a few times. So let's talk about 
how the at-home healthcare model works with providers and insurance contracts? What do the entities need to consider when entering the home healthcare market? Yeah, it you know, and in, in home, I think home healthcare and home health um, uh, has there, there's kind of a traditional meaning of home health, and then I think there's the view of the future, which includes traditional, like traditionally what folks would think of as home health of skilled nursing and physical therapy services going into the home. But I think over the last decade, we're seeing an explosion in terms of the types of services that we're able to think about bringing into the home. Um, I think Landmark was a pioneer in that um, over the last decade, thinking about how do we get really comprehensive primary care and urgent care services into the home. And I'm really excited to see more and more uh, innovative organizations think that way. You know, you're seeing CVS and Aetna recently making a large um, uh, uh, M&A uh, deal with Signify Health to build out their own in-home capabilities. Um, obviously, our, our my parent organization, Optum Health, has um, made a very uh, intentional move to be more present in the home, believing that that's the best, one of the best places to deliver care. Um, I think one of the challenges is it is on a on a like per visit basis, it's more expensive than care delivered in a, a, in a facility or in a clinic. Um, my team and providers are not able to see as many patients in in a given day as if they were in a clinic and you know neatly stacked up. But I, I think that's 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 the old way to think about healthcare. I think the that's saying like how productive on a on a unit basis, can I make my, can, can our clinical team be? I think the way that we need to think about healthcare into the future is how much value can I create for each patient on each visit that I have? Um, and when we put that lens on, the home becomes a very effective place to deliver care because of the ability to prevent, you know, downstream hospitalizations that are really expensive. The, the flip side, and just sorry, getting back to your contracting point, Eric, is that that means that you need to be able to take accountability um, for the cost of your services to really ensure that it's generating those outcomes that you want. Because there's a way, I think I think that the, the big challenge is like, you could also, if you don't do it really well, put a lot of cost into the system um, by doing a lot of care at home that isn't necessarily having the downstream impacts that we all hope it will have. And in that case, you're actually you're potentially destroying value. Um, and so from a contract perspective, it's important that you think about, you know, the term value-based care really is being able to say, I know that what I'm doing here will generate value downstream and I'm going to take accountability or take risk to ensure that that's the outcome. And that's the base. That's been kind of one of the, you know, the, 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 the kind of third leg of the stool for, for landmark was making sure that we were taking financial accountability for better outcomes for patients. Um, and that's what allowed managed care plans to get comfortable working with us, knowing that it's a great, great consumer experience. It's a great clinical, clinical, very comprehensive, I'd argue the most comprehensive clinical model. Um, and we're able to really ensure that that translates through to improve financial performance for the health plans that we partner with. Um, and I think you'll see that being a continuing theme as folks try and do more and more in the home. You're going to have to make sure that it actually drives those downstream outcomes that you're professing and that you're you're putting some skin in the game to ensure that that's the case. 
Yeah, I like the way you phrased that, uh, some of that old way of thinking about healthcare. Um, so with that being said, like, what are maybe some of those other common myths or misconceptions you've heard about in your field or in your circles when it re- in regarding in-home healthcare from, you know, peers or patients? You know, what are some of those? And I guess if you can debunk some of those for us. Yeah, um, I mean, a, a few. I, like one thing that, I, you know, we often hear when I explain kind of what we do to folks is, you send physicians into the home um, and like no one can really be- believe that. And it, it sounds in some degree, like very old school, like it, it almost evokes images of the, you know, the, the 1950s or 1940s house calls physician. Um, and the answer is like, yes, you can do that. That it doesn't have to be nostalgia. And the modern house call looks very different than the, the 1950s house call. It's technology enabled. It's, there's a lot of additional capabilities that are being brought to bear. Um, but yeah, we, you can send the physician into the home. That's not a, that's, that's not a luxury. That's actually a net benefit to the healthcare system. Um, I think we touched on, I think home health or healthcare at home has like this mental image of like a, a very narrow set of the capabilities that can be delivered in the home. I think it's important that we, we increase in as a society exp- embrace what we've done in the home, but also say that more and more can continue to be done in the home. Um, and then the, the, the last thing I think is that folks don't always understand just the incredible benefit that can happen by being in the home. And, you know, I, I, I have the great pr- privilege of being able to go and, and um, watch some of the, the house calls that my, my team does and they, they, they'll take me along and you, you just see how robust the the cares you can deliver you see like when the refrigerator is empty like you actually understand if there's food scarcity you understand if they're really taking their pills and have an organized system for doing for for managing their medications or not you know the, the you see if they have a rug that's a slip hazard you know in in their bathroom like all of these things that are are small and you really never could see outside of the home you're able to see there and it really does drive a step change in the information that physicians have and clinical care teams have to be able to improve the outcomes for um, for their patients. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. And as we wrap up here, you know, one last question is, you know, in your opinion, your perspective, what does the future of patient care for seniors look like? Or maybe, you know, what, you know, you touched on a little bit, but what should it look like? Yeah, you know, I, I think the most important thing for me is that as in in the United States, as um, as 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 folks age and as they become seniors, I think everyone should have the ability to make their own decision around how they age. And if folks want to be able to age in place, I think it's really important that we have a healthcare system that can support them in doing that. Um, I think for many folks, the home represents so much to them. Um, many folks have, uh, lived in a home for most of their life and they've brought children up and they've had experiences there with, with grandchildren. Um, and I think the idea that as you get towards the end of life today, that you all of a sudden have to rip that apart and go live in an assisted living home or a long-term care facility is really, if that, that's the only choice is, is really kind of heartbreaking to me knowing that there's ways that we can actually help folks who want to remain in their home, be able to do so, be surrounded by their family, be in their community. 
and importantly, be in their home, right? Like really be not, not in the house, but be in their home, the place that they're comfortable um, after living probably a, a, you know, a hard fought life where they've looked out for their family and contributed to society. I'd love to just be able to make sure that everyone we're looking out for them um, as they, uh, you know, enjoy their, their uh, twilight years uh, here. So that's, that's my vision. And um you know, it's what motivates me and I know motivates all the team members uh, here at Landmark. Chris Johnson, he is the CEO of Landmark Health. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on, on today's episode. Thanks for having me, Eric. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.